0: hello and welcome to mr president from otrgold.com this episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors
1: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
2: I know no method to secure the repeal of bad or obnoxious laws so effective as their stringent execution. This applies not only to the laws of the courts, but to economic laws as well.
3: Starring Edward Arnold. (laughs) Mr. President, the man in the White House, the man chosen by his fellow citizens as our first citizen, we invite you now to become better acquainted with one of America's greatest men. These are transcribed stories of the men who have lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting, but little-known events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. Our Mr. President drama will begin in just a
0: moment. Perhaps you don't believe in the kind of ghosts that are supposed to haunt houses. But there are other kinds. There are ghosts of words once spoken, ideas once held, personalities once present. Take, for instance, a tour of our nation's capital. Here, you think, Lincoln once stood as he pondered the problems of a country at war. Even as you look, your fancy conjures up the picture of that tall, gaunt figure stooped in thought. There, you muse, sat Washington, Jefferson, Madison, and Monroe, discussing the future of the newborn nation. And as imagination takes hold, the powdered wigs and lace cuffs seem more real than reality itself. These are the memories, the all-pervasive ghosts of Washington. But for those of us who are unable to visit the Capitol, the same warm familiarity with the heroes of America's past is possible through the program Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold. So listen now and see if you can name the president upon whom this episode is based. Mm
2: After what had been the most severe military upheaval in our history, the nation looked forward to an era of peace and plenty. The man in the White House had just been swept into office on a tremendous wave of military popularity. He and his wife had never held social ambitions, but the president's brother-in-law relayed an invitation he himself considered irresistible. a steamship entirely to ourselves is the weekend guess of the man who owns the entire life.
1: But Abel, it had set a precedent we might regret later.
2: You're just right, Abel. I don't think we'd better go. But that's ridiculous. Mr. Gould isn't like anyone else. He's a, a, a social ruler. To accept his invitation couldn't possibly mean you had to accept every other one you receive. Mm, wouldn't it be better to invite him here to the White House? No, no. A man like Mr. Gould with all his financial genius naturally has enemies. Smaller men who are jealous of him. They'd create a scandal if you had him here. But not if he has me aboard one of his steamers, eh? That's a different thing entirely. Besides, we wouldn't have to shout it from the rooftops, you know.
1: If we should go, you'd take Jenny along, of course. Oh, naturally.
2: Well, it might give me a chance to have a real old-time visit with my sister, like we used to have when we were youngsters out west. Certainly it would. So you'll come. I can tell Mr. Gould you'll accept. Hmm, Julia?
1: It's entirely up to you, dear.
2: Well, for the chance of a long gab fest with my sister, I'll say yes, Abel. Wonderful. Believe me, you won't regret it either. I'll go
1: and telegraph Mr. Gould right away. (laughs) What is it, dear?
2: Imagine, a couple of Western nobodies like us hobnobbing with New York millionaires.
1: Mm Your brother-in-law's made some pretty important connections, it seems.
2: It seems so, yes. Not to be immodest, his most important connection is the President of the United States. I hope for his own sake he isn't trying to capitalize on it. I'm afraid I'm too naive in financial matters to follow you, Mr. Gould. It's very simple, Mr. President. To you, perhaps. My untrained mind fails to see the connection between the welfare of the American farmer and the market price of gold. But Mr. Gould has just explained it. So obvious even a child If you don't mind, Mr. Corbin. Sorry. You and I are used to these financial problems. Used to studying every situation primarily from its financial viewpoint. The President isn't. He sees things in their broad overall effect, and rightly so. That's very kind of you, sir. But you still haven't made clear to me the reason the price of gold is a threat to the farmer. Oh, dear me, not a threat, Mr. President. Not
3: necessarily a threat at all, but... A vital concern. Oh, yes, indeed, a vital concern at all times.
2: Mm-hmm. Sure.
3: You know, of course, that the price
2: of wheat is dictated arbitrarily in London. No, I didn't know that. You ought to keep better informed. Now, Abel... I mean for your own good, of course. Hmm, maybe you're right. But what about the price of wheat being dictated in London? Why, the result, of course, is that Britain is able to take terrific advantage of us. I don't say she does, mind you. I only say she's able to. In what way? By denying us enormous freight loads of grain, by cutting down our foreign trade through the use of
3: English rather than American shipping. Exactly, Mr. President. If the British did that, as your brother-in-law just said, think of the catastrophe it would mean to the American farmer.
2: Oh, a very bright picture, I'll admit. And it's within your power to correct the situation. Is it able? What did you and Mr. Gould have in mind?
3: Well... Because the balance of trade has gone so steadily against us, our gold supply has been drained off by European trade at an alarming rate. Alarming?
2: Believe me, yes.
3: I speak not so much as a financier, but as an American.
2: Then let me ask you as an American and a financier what you think I should do. Discontinue the sale of gold by the Treasury. Issue no more gold bonds until the price of gold is stabilized. And what is the current price of gold, sir? Right now, it's 137 and a half. It uh, keeps dropping all the time. I see. That threatens not only the farmer, but the entire economy of this country. Primarily the farmer. If his dollar shrinks in value, the whole country is set back. That's an interesting idea, gentlemen. Then you'll do it, Mr. President. I didn't say that, but I'll think it over. (laughs) Right into my private office, Corbin. Go right ahead. Thank you.
3: Oh, and uh, Phillips, I'm not to be disturbed.
2: Well, Mister Gould, have you kept our bargain? I certainly have. It's right here in this roll-top desk. Here, open the third drawer from the right, Corbin, and see for yourself. Oh, go on. I want you to. Well. Uh... Well, my friend? Fifty. Fifty thousand dollars worth of gold orders. In my name. In my name. And that's only a beginning. My partner Fisk and I will take care of you as we go along taking care of ourselves. Fifty thousand dollars. A crumb, Corbin. Just a crumb. We're going to
3: pick the price of gold until we've cornered the market.
2: We're going to... (laughs) And why shouldn't we?
3: Thanks to you, haven't we got the President of the United States behind us?
1: What's troubling you, dear? You've had a black frown on your face ever since you started reading your sister's letter.
2: Well, Jenny's always been the sensible one in the family. Much more sensible than I've ever been.
1: Yes, she's as level-headed a woman as I ever knew.
2: And here she is writing about Paris gowns this winter in a chateau on the Riviera. Hmm. What's a chateau, anyway?
1: Some kind of French castle, I think.
2: And a team and carriage all her own. And a private maid, too.
1: Sakes alive.
2: Yes, yes. Here, read it for yourself. Next, the last paragraph here. Let's
1: see. Might even decide to stay the whole winter on the French Riviera. Of course, Italy is lovely too, and Abel may decide to charter a yacht for a cruise of the Mediterranean instead of renting a chateau.
2: You see what I mean? What's got into Jenny?
1: <sighs> What's got into Abel?
2: I don't know, but I'm certainly going to find out. Where's all the money coming from? <laughs> Just to sit on the piazza and rock on a day like this, Abel? Uh, Good a way to spend Sunday afternoon, as any I know of. Um, That was quite a sermon your minister preached this morning. I'll have to confess. Confess? I whispered in his ear last Tuesday that you and Julia would be our guests this weekend. He did himself proud because he knew you'd be in the congregation. Very flattered. How's everything going with you, Abel? I expect you know they've never been better. Uh, Jenny says she wrote you last week. Mm hmm. That's why I asked you. She wrote a lot of stuff about trips to Europe, French chateaus, yachts, and cruises to the Mediterranean, Paris gowns. Well, why not? I've reached a point where I can at last say those things belong to me as much as they do to the next man. That depends on who the next man is. Why does it? I've never had a head for business, Abel. You know that. I'm a soldier, not a businessman. Well, I'll take care of the business end. Don't you worry. But you see, Abel, I am worried. About me? About Jenny. Believe me, you needn't be. We're free from worry forever. I hope you are, Abel. I hope you are. I hope you never have to haggle over the price you've paid for this freedom. <laughs> That you, Julia?
1: Yes, dear. I'm home. Where are you?
2: Here yeah, in our bedroom. You must have had a fine gossip over the teacups, honey. You're late.
1: Believe me, I have a very good reason to be late. It's almost as if fate sent me to the Secretary of Treasury's house for tea this afternoon.
2: Fate? Then, sounds all fired, mysterious. You know, tie this thing for me, will you?
1: What are you getting dressed up for?
2: Did you forget the British ambassador's supper tonight?
1: Oh, my stars! I did. I'll have to fly. Stand still, will you?
2: I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Now, what's all this talk about fate sending you to the Boutwells this afternoon?
1: Just as I was starting to leave, Mr. Boutwell came home.
2: Oh, he did, did he? So, my secretary of the treasury is going home early, huh? I don't have to judge him about that.
1: Well, it's <laughs> no joke, dear. He was early because he started to come here to the White House to see you. Well, why didn't he? Well, he suddenly remembered I was at his wife's tea party and decided it would be better to tell me about it first.
2: Tell you about what? There you are. Hmm, thank you, dear.
1: Well, I have a regular fee for tying evening ties.
2: (laughs) You should have it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, what's all this about Boutwell?
1: Do you remember that weekend we spent as Mr. Gould's guests?
2: Gould, Gould, oh, oh, the New York money man. Yes, I remember, but where does Boutwell come in?
1: As your secretary of the treasury, he has to know what's going on in Wall Street. Wall Street? Our very generous host, Mr. Gould and his partner, have been buying gold at a fantastic rate. And the rumor is they're out to corner the world market.
2: In gold? But that's impossible. Gold in itself isn't anything but a means to an end. If the world decided to back its commercial debts with glass beads or wampum, gold wouldn't mean a thing.
1: But the world hasn't decided so.
2: But how could anyone buy all the gold in the world? What does he buy it with if it isn't uh, more gold?
1: It's beyond my ken, too. But that isn't what worries me, or Mr. Botwell, either.
2: mm mm-hmm, Isn't it? what does worry you?
1: The other part of the rumors. That Gould and Fisk are protecting themselves by putting a substantial part of their gold orders in the names of your family and friends. What? Adam Porter was one name Mr. Botwell heard mentioned. Abel Corbin was another.
2: Abel Corbin?
1: And even yourself? What? That's right.
2: I'm supposed to be speculating in gold? Why, they wouldn't dare.
1: Maybe only talk, but even so, such talk is dangerous.
2: Dangerous? (laughs) It's dynamite. You get dressed, honey. I'll leave now and walk. You pick me up in a half an hour or so.
1: Half an hour? Where are you going?
2: I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'll be at the Secretary of the (laughs) Treasury's. this gate, Mr. President. Oh, thank you. You lead the way, George. Here we are. Oh, what a pretty little garden. Mrs. Broutwell and I find it quite restful out here. And it's so private, too. Well, let's sit here on this bench. I won't detain you long. It's always a privilege to entertain you, Mr. President. I think I can guess the reason you're here. I'm sure you can. You know these financial matters so much better than I do. Can this fellow Gould and his partner actually, uh, what's the expression, actually corner the market in gold? Well, they're certainly making a convincing try. But I don't understand. How can they do it? You suggested a while back that the Treasury discontinue its sale of gold. Yes. Gould himself gave me the idea. Ah, and you yourself agreed it would probably stabilize the balance of trade. It probably would have if Gould and Fisk hadn't schemed to make a killing out of it. But how can they, George? How? How? When the Treasury stopped selling gold, a lot of investors, or speculators, if you prefer, went short on gold. Went short? They sold it without owning any, planning to meet their sales by buying it up at a lower price than they agreed to sell it for. Well, isn't that almighty risky? It depends. It's what they call being bearish. Oh, yeah. So the Treasury stopped selling gold and the bears sold it short, huh? go on. Now, that gave Gould and Fisk the chance to engineer the bull market and compel the shorts to cover at a high price. Oh, I'm beginning to see. In the past three weeks, the price of gold has climbed from 133 to 156, and it's still going up. It's bound to create a panic in the securities market, Mr. President. Why, of course it is. How much gold is in circulation today, George? Oh, roughly about 15 million dollars. And when its market price drops too low, what happens? The speculators lose their shirts. On the other hand, when its price goes way up, as it's doing now, what happens? The speculators make fortunes. What about us ordinary folks? How does it affect us? In the same way, everything that happens on Wall Street affects us. If this gold corner becomes a fact, it will start a panic that will reach into every home in the land. Us ordinary folks, as you put it, will live a makeshift existence in a ruined economy. And by heaven, it mustn't be allowed to become a fact. The keystone of every nation is the economy on which it depends. If a man sells military information to a foreign power for his own profit, we brand him a traitor and strip away his rights. To my mind, the man who deliberately schemes to break the economic laws of the nation is equally guilty and should be equally punishable. Let us never forget it wasn't just acumen and shrewdness that built the United States of America, but also morals and character.
3: In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President.
0: It is said that no man is a hero to his contemporaries, and that has also been true of several of our presidents. Now, thanks to the Mr. President program, we see many of our chief executives in a clearer light. We understand something of their personal problems. President Grant, for instance, has taken a lot of criticism. The not-too-well-known facts explain his actions. Grover Cleveland has never been cited as a great national hero. But on at least one occasion, he showed unusual courage and didn't talk about it. Many books have been written about Lincoln. But you'll hear stories on Mr. President that have never before been dramatized. The Mr. President research staff is responsible for this material. Yes, it's these little-known stories and the distinguished performance of motion picture star Edward Arnold, who plays the principal role that make the Mr. President program a highly listenable series. And now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President.
2: Well, have you figured out yet who was president when all this happened? It really did happen, you know. The president's determination to thwart the scheme to corner the gold market wasn't lessened by a series of frantic telegrams and messages from his brother-in-law, urging him to ignore the skyrocketing price of gold. Once his secretary of the treasury pointed out the dangers of an overpriced gold market, the president took steps to correct matters. His wife found him one September morning in a violent temper on the croquet court
1: on the White House lawn. Sakes alive, are you trying to murder
2: that poor croquet ball? Oh, that Abel Corbett...
1: What's Abel done now?
2: Well, you told me the day before yesterday. There's a rumor that I myself am in this gold speculating scheme. That's
1: what Mister. Botwell told me.
2: Yes. As if that wasn't black-hearted enough. Now they've dragged your name into it too. Mine. Yes. There's nothing they won't stoop to apparently to cloak their operations with a respectability.
1: And there's nothing we can do about it, is
2: there? There's plenty we can do about it, and plenty I'm going to do. I want you to write a letter to my sister Jenny.
1: You
2: want me to write it, dear? Yes, if I wrote it and by some accident it should leak out, it wouldn't look so well. I want that husband of hers to know how almighty sore I am at his gold speculations. I want him to close them out as fast as he can. And if he doesn't, he's going to regret it and you can put that in the letter, too. Hmm.
3: and have a cigar,
2: Corbin. Have you seen the price of gold today? A <laughs> hundred and sixty-one. We'll see it hit two hundred yet. It's, uh... It's the price of gold I've come to see you about, Mr. Gould. Huh? I've had word from my
3: brother-in-law. From the president? He's answered those telegrams you sent, telling him to pay no attention to what's happening on the gold market? He's put it to me very bluntly.
2: I've got to get out of the market. You've what? I don't know what he plans to do, but he's got something in mind, all right. He's in a raging temper because we spread the rumor that Julia had done some gold speculating. Anyway, I'd like you to let me out of our arrangement. Ah. Well,
3: using his wife's name was probably going too far. From what you tell me, I guess our arrangement has outlived its usefulness, anyway. Then it's agreed you'll let me out? On one condition. Name it. Don't
2: say anything about this to my partner. Don't. <laughs> I understand. Someone is going to be the scapegoat, and it isn't going to be you. Huh? Well, there's no reason it should be either of us. Just say nothing to anyone, and do what I'm going to do. Start selling on the quiet. <laughs> Here it is, September the 24th, and it seems like yesterday it was the 4th of July. Well, the 24th of September may not go down in history as the 4th of July has, but it's going to be a date a lot of folks will never forget. Why is that? Ah, this gold speculation. It's reached a new high of 162 and a half. That's right. It's much too high. Yet Jay Gould and his crowd have been crowing that they'll push it all the way to 200. that they'll never do. You and I are going to see to that. You want me to rescind my instructions to the Treasury about not selling gold, is that it? That's exactly it. We'll put Treasury gold back on the market and break this corner that gold is planning. Oh, three million dollars ought to do it. No, that isn't enough, George. Not the way this thing has got out of hand. It's more than enough, believe me. It would be worse than doing nothing if what we do turned out not to be enough. I say Five million? Five million. 3 is more than enough sir. Well, you're schooled in these financial matters and I'm not. Would you compromise and make it 4? Very well. I'll give orders to sell 4 million dollars worth of treasury gold. That's the ticket. It's going to rock the boat pretty badly, but sometimes you have to do that in order to weather the storm. <laughs> go my hopes are glimmering.
1: (laughs) It serves you right for knocking me out of bounds back there. (laughs) Shall we go into the house?
2: Well, why don't we stretch our legs a bit, Julia? Oh, Mr.
1: President! Mr. President! Who's that waving at you?
2: Looks like George Bodwell. Hi there, George. Come on over.
1: He looks mighty excited about something.
2: What's happened, George? Plenty. Doesn't seem possible. It was only this morning we decided to go ahead, Mr. President. The market started to break the minute our treasury gold was released. How much did it take, George? You were right. It turned out the four million we agreed on was none too much, but it did the trick.
1: And Mr. Gould no longer has the market cornered?
2: He certainly has not. As a matter of fact, I hear Gould has been quietly selling for several days. It's his partner, Jim Fisk, who's paying the piper. You mean he didn't tell his own partner? If what I hear is correct.
1: I only hope Abel Corbin got out in time.
2: Well, if he didn't, it's his own fault, Julia. I suppose Wall Street is in a panic, George. Definitely. But that was inevitable. They've already named this day Black Friday. I'm sorry it had to be, but it did. After all, speculation is only another word for gambling. And I couldn't let anyone gamble with the economic well-being of the country. That's like gambling with your own health. Every person in every house in every city and tiny village depends on every other person in every other house everywhere. If Tom sells something to Dick, he uses the money to buy from Harry, and that's what keeps the wheels of commerce going around. But those wheels must turn normally and make progress in a sound manner. To make them spin for one's own temporary gain is as sinful as making them stop altogether. Because in either case, the Toms and the Dicks and the Harrys are left with nothing to support each other by. And that mutual support is the lifeblood of our country. It's a part of what we mean by our national motto. E pluribus unum, one out of many. Well, you've probably figured out by now who the president was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know,
0: and you'll have the answer in just a moment. Behind the pose assumed for cameras, presidents are human, too. And you'll get a greater understanding of the men who have lived in our nation's White House when you hear Edward Arnold starring in Mr. President. The Mr. President program is based on little-known stories of the man America has known as president you'll hear the intimate details that were bypassed in epic-making headlines. Mr. President is sometimes dramatic, sometimes tragic, but always sympathetic. It's a program that removes the pedestal from our famous leaders to reveal them as they were, human beings with great understanding beneath their political veneer. So join us when we present Mr. President with Edward Arnold playing the title role every Wednesday evening over most of these ABC stations. Now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President.
1: Oh, Sakes alive, what a pleasant way to spend Sunday afternoon. Just sitting on the piazza and rocking.
2: Yeah, Jenny and I are mighty pleased you could come up again, Julia. Well, that minister of yours is a corker, Abel. Did you tell him we'd be here like you did the last time? No, sir, for the very good reason Jenny forgot to tell me about it till, it till late last night. Why? Well, I wondered if it was just my imagination when the minister kept looking at you as he preached.
1: Oh, for goodness <laughs> sake. Why should he look at Abel?
2: Well, considering the his subject was what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Well, I couldn't help it. But... <laughs> all right. All right. I, I deserve that. But I didn't lose my soul over that gold thing, and... Heavens knows I didn't gain the whole world, either. Well, nobody's blaming you, Abel. Well, I deserve to be blamed. I got greedy in my old age, that's all. I lost my head completely. But it opened my eyes to one thing. What's that? You may not go down in history as a very shrewd businessman, Ulysses S. Grant, but you'll certainly be remembered as a president who puts his country ahead of everything. Be with us again next week, won't you, for another interesting story that happened in Washington a few years ago to Mr. President. Until then, goodbye.
3: Mr. President, produced and directed by Ted Dole, was created by Robert G. Jennings and written by Bernard Dugo. Heard in the cast were Vivian Janis as Julia Grant, Frank Gerstle as Abel Corbin, and your narrator, Ted DiCorsia, as Jay Gould. Our story was based on incidents in the life of President Ulysses Simpson Grant.
0: Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This program came to you transcribed from Hollywood. This is ABC Radio Network.